Please turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Over the past few months, we have been looking at what we have called the ongoing work of the resurrected Savior. That is, His work, His teaching, from the time that He was raised from the dead and prior to His ascension back into heaven. We will conclude this series at uh, that time, that passage in Acts chapter 1, when he, just before he ascends into heaven. I decided that I'm going to break this up into two years and deal with what he's doing now while he is in heaven next year. But here today, we are continuing in our study. We looked first from the Gospel of John at his appearance at the shore. Remember, it was the Sea of Tiberias. That's what it was called in John, even in that reading we had from chapter 6. That's where Jesus was, near the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. That's where he restored Peter as a shepherd to teach and to lead the sheep. We also then looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and at his appearances as reported by the Apostle Paul and how he appeared to many and even to more than 500 at one time. And we are currently here in Matthew chapter 28, considering his appearance on the mount, the only appearance of the resurrected Savior to his disciples recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And we looked predominantly from chapter 28 and verse 16 and following, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped. Some were doubtful. When Jesus came up to him, he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Most recently, we've been focusing on these verses, verse 18 and 19, because I believe, and most commentators believe, that the context of the Great Commission... Is verse 18. In other words, the Great Commission doesn't begin with verse 19, Go therefore. The Great Commission begins with Jesus saying to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I am the mighty, powerful, sovereign God standing before you, the resurrected Son of God. In light of that, go therefore. That's where the Great Commission begins. In light of the fact that He is the all-powerful, almighty, sovereign Lord, you are to therefore go forth. That's what we call the connection. Verse 19 begins with go therefore, and it is the connection back to verse 18, which tells them that He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, in light of that, here's what you're to do. Verse 19, make disciples. Make disciples. Go, therefore, and literally in the Greek, it's just disciple. Disciple. But we know that it means to make disciples. That's the focus of the Great Commission. 
That's the focus of the verse. That's the command that Jesus is giving them. Disciple. I remind you that the Greek word, the root is mathetuo, uh, and it means to instruct and to teach. So he's telling them to teach others what I have taught you. For the past three years, you've been with me, you've seen me, you've seen me teach, you've seen me preach, you've seen me raise men from the dead, heal the sick, feed the multitudes, and now you see me resurrected from the dead, standing before you. What you have seen, as you're going, teach others. These are the words of our Lord. Remember, they're the ones who have written this down for us in the Gospels. They're the ones who saw what he did, knew what he did. Luke researched what he did. But they're the ones who wrote this down and did exactly what they told him to do. They're teaching you, they're teaching me through the Scriptures. It is from the Scriptures, His Word, that we learn that He is sovereign and all-powerful. We learn what He says right here. That all authority has been given to Him. It's because our brother Matthew wrote that down that we know this. And so we understand that Jesus is telling them, go tell everybody who I am. That I am the Messiah. Go tell everyone what I taught, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And go tell everyone that I am the only one that can save them from that hell and give them to the heaven. That forgiveness is through me. Forgiveness is through my sacrificial death on the cross. Go, as you're going, teach men, tell men everything that you've learned about me. That there is life after death, I proved it. I'm standing right here in front of you. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Now, in this word, disciple, we began last Lord's Day by seeing that there is a twofold understanding of this command. The twofold understanding begins with make converts. Now, it doesn't exactly say that in the text, but it is indisputably implied. This is what they were to do. They were to go and to teach, and in that process, people would be saved. And last Sunday, we took some time to understand how it is that people are saved. How is it that you make disciples or make converts? And what we saw from the scriptures is what Jesus taught us in John chapter 8. That it is truth that sets men free. Truth sets men free from the power of sin from the ravages of sin. It is truth that sets men free from death and gives them eternal life. That goes hand in hand with what Jesus is saying. Make disciples. Go tell them the truth. 
We also saw from the book of Romans in chapter 10, where the Apostle Paul says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Churches do not save people. Stories do not save people. Jokes do not save people. Musical entertainment does not save people. Truth saves people. The word of Christ saves people. That's why it is so vital. It is indispensable for a church to proclaim truth if they expect to have anyone saved. This is what Jesus is telling the apostles. Go, tell men what you have seen. Teach them. Proclaim truth to them. And that is how you will have converts. It is Scripture alone that points men to salvation. It is Scripture that is used by God that He pierces the hearts of men and saves them with. Scripture does this. And so if a church is not teaching truth, if a church is not proclaiming Christ and His Word and using the Bible, that is not a true biblical church. That's where we left off last week. And I said that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Well, let's pick up with that now this week as we see the other side of the coin, as it were, in this word, teach, make disciples. Yes, it does mean to make converts, but it is not just converts. It is disciples. It is educated, instructed, well-informed followers of Christ. That's a disciple. And that's what we're going to look at today. It is to make educated followers. Christians who, who know their stuff and can give an answer, who can give a reason for the hope that is in them. We have a real problem with people in churches today, particularly in Baptist churches. Because men and women from cults come to their door. Hey, mind if I talk to you a little bit about the Watchtower Track Society? And they have no clue as to what they believe, so they fall victim, fall prey to cults. Some see this stuff on television, the health and wealth gospel. And they think that, well, that's what that's for me. That's got a lot more power than some preacher just sticking his nose in the Bible for an hour. Let me go there. That'll be exciting. That'll be fun. Maybe I'll get some money. And so people think that that's what they need to do. The fact of the matter is a true disciple will not be led astray by that kind of false teaching. When you know your stuff, when you're able to give a reason for the hope that is in you, you won't be led astray. You won't fall prey to the wolves that are in sheep's clothing that will come into churches. You'll be strong in the faith and be a good disciple. That's 
a disciple. That's what Jesus is talking about. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me again to this morning to John's Gospel in chapter 8, where we looked last Lord's Day, John chapter 8. Now, last Sunday, we were dealing with the whole matter of making converts. And we turned to this text, and I pointed you to verse 32, where Jesus says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It is truth that sets men free. The truth of God's word that he uses to save men. But last week, I purposefully skipped over a verse. And it is the preceding verse, the verse that comes right before it. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. That powerful language. He speaks of continuing in my word. Notice the connection to the word. If you're saved, it's truth that sets you free. That's verse 32. But verse 31, if you continue in that word, there's the proof that you are a genuine disciple. You get these people that come forward in churches and they make a decision and then they go their merry way. They never come back to church. They never read their Bible. They never study their Bible. They are not disciples. They're phonies. They are not true disciples. These are powerful words by our Lord. He says that His word is the thing that causes a person to become a disciple. You become a disciple by the truth, verse 32. But, verse 31, a man is proved to be his disciple by keeping the truth, by keeping his word. And anything less would be a phony. You want to know who I'm talking about when I... Think of a disciple who would be called a phony. Look back just a couple of pages. Chapter 6. And that's why I read that passage to you where Jesus comes and in verses uh, 5 and following down to verse 14, he feeds the 5,000 plus the women and the children. He feeds them. This was a tremendous miracle. This is a creation miracle. You know, when we talk about some of the miracles that Jesus did in the scriptures, we often point to such things as how he healed people, how he healed a paralytic, maybe how he raised someone from the dead. Those are extremely powerful miracles. They all were. But this, something like this tends to, maybe this wasn't quite as dramatic. Yes, it was. He created food. That's amazing. He created food for 5,000 men plus women and children. 
maybe 10,000, maybe more. And he created all that food. Think about what that would mean to feed, let's say, 10,000 people. And Jesus did that. So what happens? These people get to see, have this food. They like this. Boy, I got to have some of that food that Jesus created. I like what he's doing. And so it says the people saw this sign. This is verse 14. They saw this sign which he had performed. See, they got it. They knew what happened. And they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force and make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. I'm going to have to kind of go through this kind of quick. So Jesus leaves. He withdrew to himself alone because these people wanted to come and make him a king. But he knew their hearts. He knew who they were. So now the disciples go down to the sea. They get in the boat. They're rowing out on the boat. And Jesus comes walking on the water up to the boat where the disciples, where the disciples were rowing. That's the following verses, verses 16 and following. The next day, verse 22, by the way, that is also an amazing miracle. Often made fun of by people. But the truth is, it's amazing what Jesus did. But here at verse 22, the next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that, he, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias, near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now look what Jesus says. He answers them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. What signs was Jesus talking about since he mentions that you ate the loaves and were filled? Talking about the fact that who could do that? Only God could do that. In other words, you're not seeking after me because you recognize that I am the divine Son of God, the Creator who can do that. You're just coming because you want more food. You're just coming because you ate and you were filled and you want some free stuff. You're looking for what you can get out of Jesus. And now what happens is Jesus goes in to discuss some things that are very difficult. Some things that are hard to understand. Verse 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. 
They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say that I have come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And he goes on to teach more difficult things. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread. He says you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And what happens? These followers get all upset. Verse 59, these things he said in the synagogues and taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending where he is, was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it be given or granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and we're not walking with him anymore. And do you see why I chose to discuss this today? Here you have these people who come after him not because they realize he's the Son of God, not because their lives were changed and that they believed in him and committed their lives to him and were committed to following him wherever he went, but they only wanted the food. They only wanted what they could get from Jesus. But when he started teaching hard things, when he started teaching doctrinal things, they couldn't take it, and they left. But what were they called? What were they called? Verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples were grumbling. As a result, verse 66, many of his disciples withdrew. You see, this word disciple is used in several ways in the scriptures. The most predominant way is to actually describe the apostles. They were his disciples disciples. But it is also used to describe all of his true believers and followers. 
They are disciples. But it is also used to describe those who just followed, who were not committed, who did not believe. And I suggest to you that there are churches filled with these kind of phonies today. That if you started to preach doctrine and truth and the word of Christ, which he says makes disciples, they would leave just as these did. But now look what happens when Jesus turns to his apostles. Jesus turns to his apostles, to the twelve, it says in verse 67, Do you want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the truth. You have the power. You have the authority. You have the words of eternal life. Now go back to John chapter 8. Back to John chapter 8. And so he says here in verse 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Do you see the difference between those who continue in his word, those who want his word, and those who do not? The phonies did not want his word. True disciples will want his word. True disciples will long for what he has to teach and say. And true Christians will want to go to church to hear his word preached. True Christians will not get anxious if a sermon is more than 15 minutes. True Christians will want all they can get of the truth of the word of God. So let me ask you this. If someone says that they are a disciple of Jesus, but they do not enjoy His Word, they do not read His Word, they do not continue on in His Word, and they do not want to hear His Word preached, what do you think Jesus would call them? I suggest to you, it's right in this chapter, he would call them liars. Look over to verse 44. Well, we'll pick it up in uh, verse 40. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are not of born of fornication. We have one Father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him whenever he speaks a lie he speaks from his own nature 
for he is a liar and the fathers of a father of lies. But because I speak truth, you do not believe me. People, this is life and death stuff. I'm not just talking about people who go to church and they're good and nice people and you know what, we got to give them, cut them some slack. They're sincere. They'll go to heaven if they believe whatever it is they're being taught. If they believe the Quran, if they believe uh, their Jewishness, if they believe in the Bhagavad Gita, if they believe in whatever it is that they believe, if they believe the Book of Mormon and what Joseph Smith taught, they're good people and they'll go to heaven too. No, they won't. Because there is only one who has the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And everything else is of the devil who is a liar. If it's not the truth of God's word, it's the lies of the devil. It's that much of a stark contrast. And so Jesus says to them in verse 31, this is what proves that you are my disciples if you keep my word, my truth, what the disciples were teaching as Jesus told them to go and to teach. That's powerful stuff. It's Christians who are to endure. So go back to Matthew. This time go back a little further than chapter 28 to Matthew chapter 24. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And indeed that has happened that happened in the early days of the church. It's not just for today. It's been going on for 2,000 years. False prophets have arisen and mislead, have misled many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. That, too, has been going on for centuries. And it's so true today. And yet we're the ones who are accused of not having love because we're not just willing to tolerate the lies of others. We stand for the truth. Well, where's the love? How come you don't just love everybody? Well, because you're believing something that is wrong and we're trying to warn you. It's not that we don't love you. We do love you. We don't want you to go down this path of sin and wickedness and believing a lie. And so we tell you the truth. But we see today the love of many has grown cold. But look what he says next in verse 13. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Believing the truth of God, believing the word of God, being a disciple of Jesus is an ongoing, lifelong thing. When you're saved by the grace of God, there's no turning back. 
You don't put your hand to the plow and then turn back. It's an ongoing, day-to-day thing, right to the day that you die. I don't like to hear when older people say, well, now I believe that there's other ways to heaven, as some famous evangelists have said. If I said the name, you'd all know him. He's like in his 90s now, and he's saying, well, there's other ways a sincere Muslim could go to heaven. I hope I never get that old. Or at least if I do, I am still clinging to the word of God and the truth. You endure to the end. I hope on my deathbed I am able to say, Christ alone is the truth. He is the way and the truth, the only way, the only truth. He is the one, the only way to heaven. He is my only hope. You have to endure to the end. Now, I do understand that some people get Alzheimer's and things get confused and there are diseases like that. But without any of that, the one who endures in the word is saved. How do I know that? Because look at the context, the next verse. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. You see, that verse, he who endures to the end shall be saved, comes right in the midst of the context of preaching the truth. Proclaiming the truth. And so I pray that all of us will be those who endure to the end. And I also want for us to see a little bit, just a little bit of the character of a true disciple still in Matthew's Gospel, back to chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Just a little bit of the character of a true disciple. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. This is Jesus teaching, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave his master. He's talking about what? A disciple. And that's what we're talking about. What is a disciple? One who truly believes the word of Christ. One who's been saved by the word of Christ and lives by the word of Christ. And what will a disciple be like? He will be one who looks to the master. Verse 25. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. How will you become Christ-like? That's what a disciple is to be. Christ-like. We are to be like our master. We are to be like our savior. How do you do that? How do you know what Jesus is like. You know it from His Word. You know it from what the disciples taught and preached and what was recorded for us. That's what we turn to. That's what we go to, to know what Christ is like and we want to be Christ-like. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like 
his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was mistreated. Think about what Jesus went through. The beatings, the harassment, the crucifixion. If they did that to Jesus, why do we expect anything less? That should be a badge of honor to us. To be ridiculed for the cause of Christ. In fact, I, don't, I can't take the time now, but back... Well, let's take the time. Look back a few pages to Matthew 5. Don't lose your place in Matthew 10. But Matthew 5, verse 11... Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, and they persecuted Jesus. So so he says in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Matthew, A disciple won't mind being like the master. So if he was persecuted and ridiculed, we can expect it as well. Therefore, verse 26, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. And look what he says, what I tell you in the darkness Speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Again, it comes in the context of the proclamation of truth. If you're going to proclaim truth, you're going to face ridicule and persecution. People are not going to love truth because they don't love Christ. They love their father, the devil, and the things that he does. Could you imagine going to that big church down there in, what is it, Dallas or Houston, wherever Osteen is, and going in there and telling them they are in danger of the judgment of Jesus Christ unless they repent from their sins and begin to preach expositionally through the things of the Scripture and tell them what the Gospel says. How long would that church be full? Pretty soon, it'd be this big. (laughs) I say this to you aside. Some of you know the history, my background. But I sat under a man for years who proclaimed powerfully the Word of God. And at first, that church started very small. And then it began to snowball and grow because people wanted truth. They drove for miles, an hour every Sunday each way. We drove for 45, 40 to 45 minutes every Sunday, one way. Sunday school, back again for Sunday evening, and home too. Every Sunday, part of life, just what we did. Then I went to uh, another man, a well-known preacher of the gospel, Brother Ernie. And he was preaching in a huge congregation, a huge church. Church that seated 
A thousand approximately. My son will probably remember it. And yet there were, on a good Sunday, 200. That's That would be a really good Sunday. Probably more like 150. And Ernie told me, yeah, well, there, were, there were thousands here when I got here, but we had a backdoor revival. Backdoor revival. In other words, all the phonies, all the phony disciples, the mere followers, all left by the back door and never came back. And the church was better for it. It happens. This is what we are called to do. Be like Christ. And in that, continue to proclaim His truth. This is what we are called to do. Now, let's turn again to our text in chapter 28. Jesus is telling them to teach the hard truth. Teach the whole truth. Teach the suffering that comes with being a follower of Christ. How opposite of the health and wealth gospel. But that's what Jesus is telling the disciples here in verse 19. Go therefore, make educated, true followers, true believers who are willing to suffer for my name, who are willing to daily take up their cross and follow me. Make these kinds of disciples. Instruct them in the truth. The Bible never teaches us anywhere to go and make churchgoers. Go and fill up your church with dead people. And yet that seems to be the pattern that many strive to accomplish today. That thinking over the past hundred years or so has caused our churches to be weak, the people to be untaught, and our churches filled with lost people who think they're saved. Let me give you a little bit of an illustration. And please believe me, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm really not. There is still, to this day, something in the Southern Baptist Convention called discipleship training. Discipleship training. It was established decades ago because they recognized a need. Now normally what would happen is, and I remember when I was pastoring in the panhandle, the church there had a separate service prior to the evening service set aside for what they called discipleship training. And there was a, one of our deacons, actually it was Charles Toole, the music leader, would read from a book and try to, to disciple or to tell the people that would come to be better disciples. That's what it was. That's what it was to do, to, to try to make people better disciples. And so they established this thing called discipleship training. Forgive me, but they're one of the main reasons that there are a lack of disciples in churches today. Because the Southern Baptist Convention, as much as any other Baptist church or any other evangelical church I know, 
has gone astray from the truth. They don't hold to the doctrines of grace and the firm truth of the historic gospel. They preach an easy believism to try to get people in. And I know of no denomination any more stuck on numbers. How many people go to your church? How many people go to your Sunday school? How many did you baptize this year? What is your property worth? How much did your building cost? Numbers, numbers, numbers. That's all they care about. And I heard an old preacher tell me that when he was a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention, the saying was, a million more in 54. And he said, that's like when it really started. No matter what it took, get people in. No matter what you had to do, get people to join your church. No matter what it meant, dunk them in the baptistry. Dunk them, dunk them, dunk them. Add numbers to your churches. And that's why we have vacation Bible schools today that get six and seven and eight-year-old kids. And they tell them, are you saved? Do you want to be saved? And they don't know what they're talking about, but they quote-unquote make a decision. And that pads the numbers for the Southern Baptist Convention. And the same kids come back next year. And they make decisions again next year. And they get baptized again next year. It's all a numbers game. And I say to you that it is that kind of thinking that has left the church void of disciples. Because there's no expositional preaching from the pulpit. There's no leadership in the Word of God. It's an easy believism, Arminian gospel. Raise a hand, come forward, get saved, matter what. And it's join the church, get a part of the church. Numbers, numbers, numbers. And that means nobody's really being discipled. So it's their own false practices that gave rise to the need for what they call discipleship training, which nobody goes to anyway. And I say to you, here's the pattern of what a church should do. Look in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Ephesians. And this is where we'll end today. Ephesians chapter 4. This is the pattern of what a church pastor particularly, but also the church teachers and people are to do. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there 
by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. How do you get to be mature? How do you get to have a mature church? Speaking the truth. What truth? The truth of Christ. That he stood before his disciples and told them to go. Make disciples. Go tell the truth. The truth of who I am. The truth of what I did. The truth that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. The truth that the only way to heaven and to avoid hell is through me. Go and teach them the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Go therefore, which means as you're going, in light of the fact that I am the sovereign, almighty, all-powerful God of heaven and earth who has been raised from the dead after accomplishing my sacrificial death for you. Tell them the truth. Give them my word, the word of Christ. Teach, instruct, build them up. This is what we are to do. Not just the apostles, and not just the pastor. This is what we are all to do. Because we're all going somewhere, like we said last week. As you're going, we are to make disciples. We are to use God's Word to strengthen believers in the truth until they become mature disciples. It's what we strive to do. I pray it's what we will always strive to do. Next Lord's Day, we'll take a look at where the apostles were to go with His truth. But before we close this morning, I want to ask you this. What kind of disciple are you? What kind of a disciple are you? Are you just a follower? A church attender? Do you go to church for what you can get out of it? Like those phonies in John chapter 6 who just wanted to be fed. We got a lot of that going on in churches today. Is that you? Is that what you're like? Only coming to church for what you can get? If it feels okay, I'll go. If it's too hard, I won't. Or are you a committed believer follower, disciple. As what Jesus told the apostles to go and make. Committed, educated, mature believers. I pray that you would want to be like that. Because if it's the other, remember, 
they are liars of their father, the devil. I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be of God, your father, and of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.